As Sammy said, my name's Rob. I'm one of the elders here at the church. Um, just extend my welcome to you as well. It's great seeing so many of you with us. Um, if you're visiting today, we are going through a, a series at the moment called Prepare the Way of the Lord, uh, where each week we take a theme and we think, what does the world say about that theme uh, compared to what the Bible says about that theme? So today we're exploring uh, knowledge, wisdom, and character. Think about knowledge and intellect as being what we know, what we understand, and wisdom is that how we use what we know, how we make good decisions, how we make good judgments. So we're thinking about the contrast today between worldly wisdom and biblical wisdom. So worldly wisdom, which is what leads us to live the world's ways, to be influenced by what culture says is important, which if you haven't realized is us. It's all about us, isn't it? That's what culture says. It's all about me. Live for the moment, do what you want to do, do what feels right, aim to be better than others, Worldly wisdom centers on us, whereas biblical wisdom is a different view. It's about knowing that God comes first. Our character should be, therefore, shaped by what God says about us, and it should be shaped by following Christ's example, who put others before himself. So godly wisdom, wisdom therefore, centers on God as we apply the wisdom that he gives to help us live the way he intends to us. So we're going to start by thinking about biblical uh, wisdom literature in the Bible. So I don't know if you realize, but the Bible is made up of lots of different books. Uh, the books were written um, by different authors. There's different genres, like narrative and poetry. Um, and some of the books are called wisdom literature, such as the book of Job, uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. And so we're going to look at uh, today at the book of uh, Proverbs. So if you have a Bible, if you could find Proverbs, it's right after Psalms. So Psalms right in the middle of the Bible, and then the following book is Proverbs. So just while you're finding that. So Proverbs was written by King Solomon, and he was the son of his father David. So he followed David as being king. It says in 1 Kings 4.29 that Solomon's wisdom surpassed all other people. Some say he was the wisest person to have ever lived. So uh, the book of Proverbs is a collection of his sayings or riddles about how to live wisely. It's not a rule book, but more guidance and advice for us. And it's a good place, I think, for us to start when we're thinking about biblical wisdom. So we're going to look at a few of the things that he says about our approach to wisdom and knowledge and how to get it. So I'm going to look for a few uh, parts of chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3. But don't worry, I'm not going to read all three chapters. So uh, I'm going to start at... Uh, Chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and understanding. Sorry, in instruction. We jump to chapter 2. It says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, 
and his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield for those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path, for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. And then jumping to chapter three, a famous section from verse five. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So that's the um, section of the Proverbs at the start where Solomon is speaking as a father to his son, giving instruction, urging him to get wisdom and knowledge. And straight away, I don't know if you saw, there's some of the answers to our key questions there. How do we get it? Where does it come from? Why do we even need it? Wisdom, knowledge. So let's start with how do we get it? According to Solomon, we are to seek it, to search for it as for hidden treasure, as well as to call out for it. We're encouraged to look for it and and to ask for it. To look for it means to learn, to study, to read, to listen, to ask questions, to think about God and his ways. Solomon says that there are treasures to find in God for us to search for. And this reminds me of uh, going metal detecting. I don't know if any of you have tried it. Um, my mother-in-law recently bought a metal detector, something, a new hobby she wants to try. And so she wanted to test it in our garden at home. So she brought it round. Um, and if you've never done it before, it's quite... An, an arduous task, if I'm honest. You have to go over every inch of the ground, swinging the metal detector backwards and forwards, just waiting, hoping for that beep. So we covered the whole garden. We didn't find treasure. We found what you'd probably expect to find, you know, a few little metal bits and objects. I think we found a metal uh, uh, sweet wrapper, which was quite disappointing. But the thing is about metal detecting is you wouldn't do it unless you hoped that there would be something to find you go with the intention of finding that treasure, hoping that it's there to find. Otherwise, it would be a completely pointless task. See, to find the treasure hidden in the ground, you're not going to find it by sitting doing nothing, are you? You've got to get out there. You've got to look for it. You've got to search for it. And that's how we can apply that same idea to reading the Bible, too. The more you read the Bible, the more you know about God, and the more you know about our relationship with him. You know, if I'm honest, when I was younger, I grew up in a church and I heard people say, you should read the Bible every day. And I kind of, if I'm honest, wondered, you know, why? You know, I've heard the stories. Is that not enough? You know, if you, if you have been around church for a while, you've probably heard a lot of the stories already. You know, and in most books, you read once and that's it. You know, I enjoy reading, but I rarely read a book more than once. I know some people absolutely love to read the same book over and again. They have favorite stories. I know my daughter's like that, Eve. And we're often talking about it. She'll read the same book over and over and over again. But she tells me that she loves to see the, the, the details that she missed the first time. She loves to see the links that she missed in the previous read. And if I'm honest, I find that true for when I read the Bible. I can honestly say that every time I read the Bible, there's something new to find. There are new riches to discover. It gets richer every time you read it. As um, Grant shared today when he took a reference from what Jesus said and found that same thing in Daniel in the Old Testament. The more you read, the more you go, oh, I recognize that bit. Jesus said that. That was in the Old Testament. You start to see stories and say, oh, that reminds me of that story. You start to make links. 
You'll never exhaust the wisdom and the knowledge and, and the information in the Bible. You'll never get to the depths of fully of what God has to show for us. So let's search the scriptures as for treasure. So that's Solomon's first bit of advice. Search for it like treasure. But he also says that we should ask for it too. It reminds me a bit like children on a treasure hunt. I don't know if you ever set a treasure hunt up for children or Easter egg hunt in the garden. You know, you put things sort of hidden, but also in plain sight, don't you? You know the children need a little bit of help to find it. And they love to find it by themselves. They won't be shown. But then sometimes there's one thing they do need help with, and they come to you for help. And that's the same for us. God says, search for it, but also come ask for it. And in the New Testament, James picks up a similar thing. He says in 1 James 5, if any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So when we read scripture, it's God who reveals his truth to us and helps us understand. And that's the answer to the next question. Where does wisdom knowledge come from? It comes from God. Solomon says it's the Lord who gives wisdom. And why is God able to give it? Because he's the source of all wisdom and knowledge. I'd like to just stop and think about that for a minute. God's wisdom and knowledge. In Romans 11, Paul writes, Oh, the depths and riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Now, Solomon was famous for what he knew, but he didn't even come close to God. See, God's described as omniscient, which means all-knowing. God knows all things across all eternity. For example, in Psalm 147, it says he, dis- he determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Hebrews 4 says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him. Isaiah 40, his understanding is unsearchable. And did you know God knows everything about every one of us too? The opening of Psalm 139, a famous psalm. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. It says in Psalm 44, the Lord knows the secrets of the heart. And in Luke 12, even the hairs on your heads are numbered. God knows how many hairs you have on your head. Isn't that amazing? There is nothing that God does not know. Have you stopped to think about that? He wouldn't even need to count how many stars there are or how many grains of sand there are. God just knows the answer. He wouldn't need to ponder over a question before he had to answer us or tell us something. He just knows everything already. There's nothing in creation that God can't see or doesn't know about. His memory doesn't fade. God's not going to forget anything. He even knows what is to come. And if you think about it, God can't learn anything. If he could, then he wouldn't have been all-knowing in the first place. God knows everything. Absolutely everything there is to know. In John 3, John sums it up, I think, simply. I love this verse. He just writes, God knows everything. And God's wisdom is just as perfect too. God's wisdom goes beyond just knowing everything to always making wise decisions that always lead to the best outcomes. Uh, Wayne Grudem, in his systematic theology, says this, God's wisdom means that God always chooses the best goals and the best means to get those goals. In Proverbs 3, we read that God created all things through his wisdom. So he doesn't just know about all things. By his wisdom, he made all things. It says, The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. 
By understanding, he established the heavens. So creation itself is a powerful demonstration of God's wisdom. Just going to take a quote from a book by Andrew Wilson called Incomparable. I don't know if any of you have read this. Um, I highly recommend this book. It's been around for a while, but in this book, Andrew goes through uh, all the names of God, which I think is appropriate considering that new song we sang today. I love that new song. It goes through the character of God. Short, snappy um, chapters. Highly recommend this book. He picks up in this book on God's wisdom. He picks up on how God's wisdom in creation is incomparable. In this chapter, he lists numerous examples of animals and other things in the world that he says blatantly display God's wisdom. From the bombardier beetle, which is the one that fires out boiling liquid. That's amazing, isn't it? To honeybees, or from electric eels to the uniqueness of every snowflake. He even says God's wisdom can be displayed in ice. You ever thought about ice? Did you know, a little science lesson, when a liquid becomes a solid, it gets heavier and sinks, but not ice. You ever noticed? Ice is the only thing, water is the only substance that when it gets, becomes a solid, gets lighter. If it didn't, all our ice would, float, would sink to the bottom of the oceans and all your ice in your drink. So think about that. What would the world be like if we didn't have ice on the surface? So Andrew's saying here that they all display God's wisdom. He says, as impressive as these things are, they're not intended to be clever in themselves. All things in creation act as a reminder, like pop-up boxes on the internet, forever jumping out at you, that God is wise. So God's all-knowing and he's all-wise. That's why he's able to give wisdom and knowledge to us. So back to the Proverbs. Solomon says, seek it, search for wisdom, and ask for it from God. But why do we need wisdom? Solomon says it's for our good. He says that we'll know how to live the way God wants for us. He says that wisdom will shape our character. But he says the most important thing, he says, sorry, it's the most valuable thing we should pursue, more precious than silver. But the main reason why we should seek wisdom and knowledge is because it brings us closer to God. We have knowledge of him. In Proverbs 1.7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And I promised I didn't plant Georgie to bring that word about the fear of the Lord. She didn't know I was going to speak on this. But what does the fear of the Lord mean? If you've read scripture, you'll see that phrase so many times. It doesn't mean to be scared of God, although we should recognize God's righteous anger against sin. But instead, we, a fear of the Lord is an appropriate level of respect and awe and reverence for who he is, his greatness, his holiness, his majesty, and should therefore lead to us being obedient to his ways. I think, if I had to picture it, I think, think about a servant coming to the presence of a mighty king. Even a good king, that servant needs to be wise and remember and not forget that there is power in that position as king. So Solomon shows us the contrast, wise and foolish. He says the fools despise wisdom and instruction. They don't want to live the way God asks them to. They have no fear of God. They can't be told what to do. This is worldly wisdom. Yet the wise, Solomon says, are those who fear and obey the Lord. He is the foundation on which they build their lives. And Sai spoke on that last week. So we're being reminded that God is our foundation and source of wisdom. Being wise in our own eyes is to look inwards to ourselves. But instead, 
Fear in the Lord means to acknowledge that he's all-wise, he's all-knowing, and, and we should allow him to shape us. So the more, to know the more of God, sorry, to know more of God is the knowledge that we need the most. The more we learn about him, the closer we get to him, and vice versa. Now, I'm not saying that all other knowledge is unnecessary and that learning isn't important. Absolutely not. I'm a teacher, after all. I think learning's valuable. In all areas of life, we're continually learning, aren't we? As the saying goes, every day is a school day. But our pursuit of God must come first. This takes humility, doesn't it, to trust in God. Culture says, look within. Improve yourself. Do it your way. But Solomon teaches us to look to God instead. So I just want to take a moment to look at the wisdom of Solomon. After all, he was the wisest man to ever live to some. So he teaches us to seek it and ask it from God with humility, acknowledging that God's all-knowing and all-wise. And we see that reflected in Solomon's experience too, how he became wise. If you've not read it, it's in 1 Kings 3. So I'm going to read that to you now if you'd like to find it as well. This is the, uh, the account of how he became so wise. So I'm going to go from 1 Kings 3, verse 3. It says, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in his statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. That's not a good thing. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings at that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on this throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before and none like you shall arise after you. I will also give you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father walked, then I will lengthen your days." So it begins there, if you saw it, it says that Solomon loved the Lord and walked in his ways, walked in the way of his father. So he knew the ways of God, and there was some relationship, although, as we'll see in a moment, sadly, it wasn't perfect. Solomon was brought up knowing he'd be king. He would have studied God's teaching and learned the history of his people. No doubt he'd have grown up listening to the Psalms of his father, David. He would have searched for understanding. It wasn't that one day he knew nothing, and then suddenly at this encounter, he knows everything. I don't know about you, I wish it was that easy, don't you? But we see he had a dream, and in that dream, God offers him anything. I wonder what you'd ask. He asked for wisdom. And he says why. He said it was to discern good from evil, to lead God's people, 
So we see his humility. He says, I'm just a little child before God. He's showing his reliance on God. He knows the job that God's called him to do is huge, and he needs God's help and guidance. He looks beyond his own wants and desires and sees the bigger picture. His desire is to lead the people well, to know right from wrong, and to make good, wise decisions. And God honors that request by giving him a supernatural level of understanding and knowledge and wisdom. But God also rewarded him further, didn't he? And gave him what he didn't ask for. And he did become rich and had honor. So God honored Solomon's desire to know him closely and walk in his ways and to serve the people on his behalf. God saw his humility and knew that he wanted to lean on him. uh, Solomon's wisdom was renowned. He settled disputes in ways that just amazed other people. You can read about them in Kings. People came to see him like the Queen of Sheba just to see if he really was as wise and as knowledgeable as everyone said. And we see in the Bible that he wrote many of the wisdom literature books. But if you know much about the life of King Solomon, you'll know that sadly he drifted away from God later. It says he had many wives from different nations, something that God had forbidden him. And each of his wives worshipped a different god. And it says in scripture that his heart was turned away from God to these other gods. We read that he became obsessed with uh, pursuing riches and accumulating more and more. So his character did not honor God in the end. He was drawn away from that relationship, which brought with it consequences for his sin. So in the end, he was not fearing the Lord, but had become the very fool that he had warned us not to become. And we see here that God is far more concerned with character than knowledge and intellect. So while we have much to learn from Solomon, we must also avoid his mistakes too. Although he was known as the wisest man on all the earth, he was far from perfect. But there is one who was wise and perfect, and that's Jesus. Jesus said of himself, something greater than Solomon is here. So let's look at the wisdom of Jesus. Jesus was fully God and fully man. He lived a perfect life in obedience to God. He demonstrated what a godly character looked like, and he's our example to follow. It says in Luke that he grew in wisdom and stature. That means that he physically grew and physically got older, and at the same time, he also learned, just like we do. So like Solomon, he would have grown up learning the scriptures. There's a story that when he was 12, his parents found him talking with the religious leaders in the temple who were amazed by his understanding and the answers to, his own answers to their questions. But at the same time, we also see a supernatural level of wisdom and knowledge in his ministry. He was able to know things that were just impossible to know, except through divine revelation. Some religious leaders tried to trick him, but he could never be caught out. He was able to answer every single question they gave at him, even the ones designed to trip him. People came from all over to hear his teaching, as well as to receive healing. His reputation and wisdom preceded him. In his hometown, we read in Matthew 13 that people were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? And when he finished his famous Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 7, it says, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as, as if was one who had authority and not as their scribes. And that sermon finished with the well-known story about the wise and the foolish builders. The wise man who built his house upon the rock, if you know it. Jesus said the wise are the ones who build their lives on him and his teaching. So Jesus is the foundation. 
So Jesus' life just demonstrated a wisdom that was so radically different in his day and still radically different now. He showed us what his kingdom was like. The world says, if you want to be great, put yourself first. Jesus taught that we should put ourselves last and serve others. Jesus taught us about forgiveness and acceptance. Jesus showed us what love and sacrifice was about. He brought healing and a hope for eternal future and so much more. But unlike Solomon, Jesus never got distracted to go after wealth and riches, although he could have done. His heart was never drawn away from the Father. He trusted in God's plan and purpose for him and obediently followed, even to the cross. Now, earlier I said that God's wisdom means that God always chooses the best goals and the best means to those goals. Well, God's goal has always been to bring salvation and restore relationship with him. And in his wisdom, his plan was always to accomplish that through his chosen one, Jesus, his son. So God's ultimate demonstration, even more than creation, God's ultimate demonstration of wisdom is through Jesus' sacrifice at the cross, where he gave his life for the sins of the world. But this is a wisdom that jars against worldly wisdom, isn't it? It just doesn't make sense in the world's eyes. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul describes this as secret wisdom and folly to, believe, to unbelievers. In that passage, it's worth a read later, in that passage, Paul reminds the Corinthians that he preached them nothing but Christ crucified. That was what was important. He said it was not through clever words or wisdom of men, but through the power of God. He says it's that Christ's death and resurrection to bring salvation was a hidden mystery from God, but has now been revealed. Paul says the rulers of the age didn't understand it. If they did, they wouldn't have crucified him. They didn't see who Jesus truly was. But Paul goes on to say it's the spirit that reveals this God's, God's wisdom to us. It says in 1 Corinthians 2, 12, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And to the Ephesians, he says, That the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So it doesn't matter how smart you are in the world's eyes. In the world's eyes. It doesn't matter whether you've got a degree or whether you've left school with no qualifications. It doesn't matter how good you think you are either. That's because nothing we can do can actually qualify us before a perfect God. We're only saved by accepting that we're not good enough and we can't do enough. That's the wisdom that's been revealed to us. So to receive Jesus as Lord takes humility, to trust in him, not leaning on ourselves. I'd like to take a moment to look at the, uh, what it meant to the disciples and see how the disciples grew in wisdom. Now, after Jesus' death and resurrection, the disciples then began teaching everyone else about Christ and how to be saved in his name. We can see in Acts 3 and 4 that Peter and John came to the temple and to teach, and so many people came to see them that they were arrested by the religious leaders. What I thought was really interesting is where they were arrested. They were arrested in the part of the temple named after Solomon himself. I'm not sure if that's significant, but I found it interesting. These men, who were fishermen by trade, were now suddenly teaching thousands of people. When Peter and John were questioned by the priests, it says they were filled with the Spirit and spoke with power. And in Acts 4.13, it says that when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished 
And they recognized that they'd been with Jesus. They'd been with Jesus. That was the key. And now they were filled with the Holy Spirit. That's where their wisdom and knowledge came from. What a transformation from fishermen at the start. By contrast, Paul was a highly educated man. He wrote most, much of the New Testament. Yet his learning led him to oppose Christianity at first until he encountered the risen Jesus. He was then saved and filled with the Spirit. God changed Paul's understanding and used him powerfully to spread the good news of Jesus. So we can see that God does and can use all people to accomplish his purposes. And our response, therefore, as disciples is to pursue God and allow him to transform us to be more like Christ. In 2 Corinthians 3, Paul writes that that we are all being transformed into the same image of one degree of glory to another. So our character is important. Rick Warren, if you've heard of him, wrote a famous book called The Purpose Driven Life. It's one of the best sellers around the world. And he goes further by saying that God's ultimate goal for your life on earth is not comfort, but character development. That's God's ultimate goal for your life. So how do we allow God to develop our character so that we can live wisely? Just a few thoughts before we finish. First, start with humility. As it says in Proverbs 3, read it at the start, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. So the gospel shows us who God is and who we are before him. He's the source of wisdom, knowledge, and power. We can't do anything without him. So start with humility. Second, ask in faith. I read it earlier, but I'll read it again. James says to us in James 1, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So James is clear, like Solomon, come directly to God and ask for it. Be filled with the Spirit. We've looked at this a few times recently, haven't we, through Steve and through Sai, but it's so important to repeat. It's the Holy Spirit that both reveals God's truth and empowers us to apply it. So let's invite the Spirit to fill you. Search the Scriptures. Read the Word. God has revealed everything in Scripture that we need to know about Him and how we are to live for Him. Search for wisdom like digging for treasures. You know, it's not always easy, but the reward is worth it. I encourage you, read other books too. Listen to podcasts. Meditate on what you're reading. Wrestle with it. Memorize verses and passages so that they're quick to come to mind. So let's search the scriptures. Next, be a part of a community. This is so important. God has given us the church family to be a part of, to do life together. The Christian life was never meant to be in isolation. So build relationships, encourage one another, challenge one another, learn from one another, be accountable to one another. And lastly, apply it. Wisdom should not be about intellectual. Uh, Wisdom is not just about being intellectual. It should affect the way we live. It should affect our behavior. Again, James says in 1 James, James 1.22, he says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. So don't just learn it and listen to it and hear it, but apply it and do it. Ultimately, God's wisdom for us is, is about applying what we know about him and allowing God to transforming us to be more like Christ. Amen? Cool. Um, can I invite the band back up, please? It'd be great to pray.
before we go into a worship song. Just while I was preparing, I just felt like God gave me a word. This might be for someone here. I felt there was someone here um, who felt that you were unqualified, not smart enough perhaps, or not capable enough to be used by God. And I just felt God just want to say to you, it's he who qualifies you. It's he who equips you. And if that does mean anything to anyone here, I'd love to pray for you specifically at the end. So if you have to come over, I'd love to pray with you at the end. But can I encourage us to stand while we pray? Yeah, Father God, we just acknowledge that you are all-knowing. There's nothing you don't know. You are the wisest in all creation. You made creation. We just thank you, Lord, that we get the privilege of knowing you. We thank you for your word, that we can dig for treasure and find more of you. Father God, help us to seek you more. Lord, when the world says, look at ourselves, Lord, help us to look to you in all things. Lord, we want to grow in our wisdom and knowledge of you. Father God, give us a hunger for more of you in our lives. Help us to have the power of your spirit to apply it in our lives. Father God, we thank you for Christ's example, and I pray that you would help us to walk as Christ did. Father, we just ask that you'd fill us afresh with your spirit today. We thank you, Lord, it's not about what we know, but it's about who we know, and that's you. Father God, we just ask again, Lord, that you would lead us, that you would develop our characters. Father, we thank you that you are with us in all things. We bless you, Lord. Amen.